Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Rosie Sherry. Rosie is queen of the community and founder of Rosieland. Oh my God, I'm not kidding you when I tell you this episode blew my mind. She is so open and so passionate about the things we talked about that I, I genuinely think you're going to love it. And I know I say that about all my episodes, but this one is killer. I promise you. If you're into community building, if you're if you've got things going on with autism, ADHD, any kind of neurodivergence, you're really going to want to listen to it. Um, Rosie was totally open, totally candid, and I can't thank her enough for sharing what she shared. If this is your first time here, I wish you a very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I know you're going to enjoy the posts. Um, I know you're going to enjoy it. Let us know your favorite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview Everywhere. And most importantly, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this. And also, make sure you share it far and wide. Me and Rosie would love it if you do that. Anyway, enough of me going on and rambling. Now, onto the podcast. Rosie, thank you so much for coming on the 10Q Interview podcast. It's something I've been looking forward to for quite some time now. And I appreciate you taking your time out your busy schedule to to chat to me today. Thanks for having me, Chris. I always appreciate going on other people's podcasts. It saves me you, from you... having to do my own, I think. I appreciate the effort. Do you, do you enjoy being a guest, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like just like showing up and, and talking. I think um, uh, I kind of started doing, at least going on other people's podcasts probably three years ago. Um, I think one of the earlier earliest ones that I did was like the Indie Hackers one. And I remember okay. just being really nervous. Um, but like over time, it's kind of, I just feel comfortable doing it now. That's interesting that you get nervous or you used to at least. Like from the outside, you know, sort of seeing your stuff on social media and, and what you get up to, nerves don't seem to be from the outside at least a thing. Not so much anymore, but it, I think India Hackers was also like a big one to, you know, be nervous about, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've kind of fallen, I guess, into my groove with it. Okay. And I just appreciate showing up on other people's podcasts. You know, they, they, they do the work, you do the work and, to, you know, kind of produce it and edit it. And um, I keep meaning to start my own, but I'm, I'm not quite there yet. What's what's the big hurdle? Um, just I think part partly it's kind of deciding what what angle to take. Yeah. Um, and then the other angle is uh, I don't want to do the editing, so um, I have to think about about well, do I want to pay someone to do it? And I'm like, ah, oh, do I want to invest that money um, into into paying someone? Um, so yeah, a few a few things like that, but hopefully hopefully soon I'll get there. Well, remind me afterwards and I'll introduce you to the person who edits mine for me. As, um, they're pretty good, pretty reasonable. Might be a good deal you could do there. Um, but yes, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing the Rosie podcast as and when it, when it shows itself. With that in mind, we'll move on to question number one. And that is you meet a stranger in a bar, cafe, wedding, co-working space, wherever it might be, and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? 
Uh, you know what? I was, I was just thinking of this, of this question. Um, take take two version. Um, yeah. So should I should I say for the listeners, this is um, <laughs> the second time I'm asking this question because some idiot forgot to press the record button. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, um, bit, um, yeah. Like we we did up our house recently. Like we've got uh, this amazing house that it's an Art Deco house. Um, we bought it like 10 years ago, thinking that we would do, do it up in like one or two years. Uh, okay. 10 years later, we finally managed to do it. <laughs> um, and it's we, we live in an area with a few Art Deco buildings. Um, we've got an Art Deco Lido, it's an outdoor swimming pool uh, yep. that, that, that's currently being renovated. Um, and our house, before we did it up, kind of like... It was a bit strange. It's kind of like shaped like steps, I guess. There's like three different levels and it's got the flat roofs and it's just like, it's almost like steps for giants that you could could walk on. Um, yeah. It's best, probably the easiest way to kind of describe it. But um, we did it, basically we did it out recently and it looks amazing now. We, we extended in three ways um, and we get a lot of looks and um Never in my life have, I, have we been asked so many times um, as people walk by and like if we're outside um, or even now just like if, you know, people n- um, recognize us and know that we live here. But they're all asking us, it's like, well, what is it that you do? Um, okay. And um, the default, I guess the default answer to that, generally speaking, like to keep it like comprehensive comprehensible is we own a business which is uh, my ministry of testing business which I founded in 2007 actually um, and it's it, you know that's that's the default is like to keep it simple yeah. um, and if, if we if we dive in deeper I say well it's you know it's an online business we work in tech um, and it's very community focused or community led um, and I kind of leave it at that because I don't think people fully, fully comprehend. Um, if if I'm to put that to one side and just like talk about myself because I don't run that business day to day anymore. Um, okay. I, I call myself like a community builder or I say I work in tech. Um, and uh, people understand the work in tech aspect, uh, not so much the community building. They're like, oh, what is community building? Do, do they understand it or is it just quite a vague answer that actually they they assume they understand it? Because tech's a big, big topic, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they have like a, a general understanding of like what tech is, even though if they don't know what it is. They're like, oh, yeah, that's that, all that geeky, techie stuff uh, <laughs> that I know nothing about. But, yeah. you know, like the Facebooks and the Googles is probably what they, they associate it to. Um, yeah. But with community, they're like, you know, they, they, they don't really, they're like, you know, that that's, you can almost see it in their faces, so that they, they almost um, take um, a step back from that and, like, it really makes them think. And most people say it's like um, that basically they, they never realized that that could be a career choice or a thing that people do. Why do you think that is? Because I guess it, 
from my perspective, right, I've worked in digital a long time now and community just seems part and parcel of marketing life, I guess. So I find it strange that people don't realise how important it is. Yeah, I mean, I think we live in a bubble. I really think we live in this bubble that um, people people don't, you know, people aren't in the, in our world, right? Like, yeah, maybe. Most of the people around me, they're just like, they don't get tech. They don't get no code. They don't get, like, how it's like to even to put a website together, they kind of struggle with or they go with, like, the the choices of tech that we probably wouldn't recommend they go with the wixes for example that i would like yeah you know you know i would never recommend that but it's it seems to be like what um people who don't really get tech end up going for for whatever reason probably like facebook ads right um yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i guess like the the idea of community is like it's also very vague. It's like, what is community anyways? And I think community to to different people are very different things. Well, what is it to you? How would you define it if someone said, tell me about it? Yeah, good question. Um, there was a definition recently, actually, that I, I really liked. Um, and I've, I've, been, I've been avoiding... Basically, since I started writing and doing stuff specifically around uh, community, I've been, I've been kind of like avoiding the definition side of things. Um, okay. I'm like, ah, I don't even know what it is. Um, a lot of people kind of say, oh, it's belonging, it's relationships, um, and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, is it? I'm not sure. Do you think it's different online and offline community? Well, this is what I'm kind of thinking about, right? Because, um, so so here's the definition. It's like, um, I'm just re- reading it off something. It's like, a community is a well-defined unit of culture. And, and then it goes on to the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, experiences, practices, and artifacts that characterize a defined group of people of any specific size. Um, and I... And I kind of like that definition because it focuses on the culture and the outputs or the things that feels more tangible. Whereas when yeah. when people talk about community um, based on relationships and belonging, it's like it's it's very intangible. It's hard to like understand. Well, what what do you need to do next? Whereas you fo- if you focus on like these tangibles mentioned, you end up with the belonging and you end up with the relationships. But at least you you know that hopefully you're focusing on doing um, and creating the things that communities need to yep. to get there. Um, so based on that, it's like you know I th- I think for me kind of like com- community is is gathering over something we care about um, is is kind of um, the kind of communities that that I focus on is like communities of practice communities of learning those kind of things is like we're coming together because we really care, care about something. We want to most likely change stuff as well, because we're not necessarily happy with the status quo. We want to uh, try, try to move forward in, in, in our lives or in our profession or in, in something. Um, and that's, that to me is like, I guess, super interesting. 
That is incredibly interesting. Even you just saying that's kind of got me thinking. You, you know, in two minutes, you've just changed what I viewed communities as. And that's not to say what you said makes total sense, but I always look at it from a marketing lens, right? And then and you get businesses and companies trying to build a community. And then in that case, what you're trying to do is get them to care about your business or your product or your your service or whatever it is. And actually, the more I think about it is, do people actually really give a shit about your business in the sense of a community of trying to, I don't know, make the world a better place or, you know, solve a, solve a real problem in your local community? So I think, yeah, it's... Yeah, and, and it's... And it's a lot more broad these days because, like, you have, like, communities of product now, like, you know, product-led communities, the Figmas, the Notion, that, you know, yeah. they're very focused on community and trying to serve their customers well and trying to support them. Um, so, so there's a lot of, like, blurred lines there. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? It's like, I think a community of practice is very different from a community of product, but there's a lot of overlap as well. Um, and I think most companies want a community of product. They want a community like Notion or Figma. They want like all that, all, all that, like, uh, there's, there's a culture, right? In those communities, there's a culture around uh, Notion, like what people create with Notion, how they share Notion, how, how they make a living with Notion templates, um, how people are, uh, Marie Poulin building a business off off of the the, the whole uh, hmm. platform and educating people. Um, there's you know so so much to potentially dive into and think about the community aspect when it comes to products, um, which is different from kind of like I guess like Ministry of Testing, uh, which is my community, which is. Um, it's it's more independent. We don't have a, a software product, but uh, our products are more evolved from the community. So it's conferences, it's training, it's it's meetups, it's uh, it's a membership platform. Um, it's it's kind of a different focus, and and we don't have these biases of a software product, which quite often can influence what the communities end up becoming. So on that note. Is there a point? So I saw a tweet the other day. It was talking about Notion communities in particular. So it's, it's interesting that you brought it up. And they were saying about how they used to love the Notion community because it was learning, it was educating, it was you know showing people tips and tricks. And it slowly evolved from being that community to everyone trying to sell templates or databases or this, that, products or whatever. And it kind of got me thinking, is there, is there a point in communities where they start to implode or they there's a tipping point where they go from being really community driven to actually having issues and and i guess further to that point is, is the digital side of things like accelerating that degrading or am i completely off base no definitely i think i think it's it's probably one of the hardest things with community building in general is how do you find that that balance? Mm. Um, and like I definitely felt it at Indie Hackers, for example, um, over time that the balance wasn't quite right for me. 
it got it got too kind of self promotional and I, I felt uncomfortable about that. Um yeah. and I guess like I don't keep a close eye on the notion community, but it, it does have those aspects, but I I don't think it's necessarily a problem, but it's like, you know, people selling templates helps them grow and it helps them invest back in, into the product. It helps them give I will caveat that. Sorry, Rosie, I will caveat that. It was the guy in particular was talking about a Facebook group he was in. And he was saying that, you know, he was in a notion-based Facebook group and obviously that's where everyone's sharing. And he said it's the and I think I've seen it in other Facebook groups. So I don't know if it's the Notion community as a whole. That's probably a bit unfair because I know that obviously that wider community is across further, you know, further platforms and whatever, not just that Facebook group. But I think that was what he was referring to in particular. Yeah, so self-promotion in any group is horrible. And I think that's what people yeah. don't, don't um, usually don't get right. It's like they're not, um, I guess, uh, strong enough to just like lay down the rules and say sorry you can't self-promote or you know st stuff like that and like with my Rosyland stuff I, I've set up like a Twitter community and I, I've made it clear from the start it's just like guys uh, or people um no self-promotion here absolutely nothing um this is this is this is not what we're here for because self-promotion is like it, it kills it absolutely kills communities yeah um and uh, that that's you know it's a shame because it also gives communities a bad name but that that's not what communities are for is like uh, if you start a community you have to kind of know why you why you're in it why you're doing it and if yep. if you allow people just to basically come and dump some links and they disappear because that's what people do um people aren't going to hang around and then that's going to kill your community straight away um, and that comes down to culture, right? It goes back to the culture. It's like, what kind of a culture do you want um, within your community? Um, and I and I think the, the the I think people are perhaps scared to crack down on that stuff because it's like, you know, in some senses they're like, oh, people are here, they're actually contributing, and so for, yeah. for a while they like appreciate it, but then afterwards it, it's like it's not probably not the right kind kind of conversations that help the community thrive. No, unfortunately, I think yeah, this is a shame because I think you see it more and more often, don't you? Or I mean, you you have a lot more exposure to the community world than me, I guess. But from my limited exposure, I do seem to see it happen eventually in most communities. Yeah, that's bad moderation, in my opinion. Or, or okay, so on or, that then, if, or lack if, of leadership, perhaps. Yeah. So on that then, if someone's listening to this who wants to start a community of some description what would be your one golden tip for them to think about focus on outcomes um and not conversations whilst conversations are great really it's the outcomes of community that you want to to find um i think um these days we're too focused on the conversations we're desperate to have conversations but actually it gets super tiring and overwhelming yeah. and it doesn't necessarily help people move forward. So you want to find ways to help people move forward and create things yourself or with them um, to, that keeps them coming back, that they, they find valuable. So it's that age-old value-add, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I think it's, it's a big problem in, in communities is, this, everyone's so focused 
focus on the conversations that they forget to do something with those conversations. So the conversations are valuable, but there's very little being done with those actual conversations to, to help move the community forward. And if you use those conversations to help move the community forward, people feel it, people see it, and they understand yeah. it, and they understand that they were a part of that as well. Good tip. Good tip. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question now because I, I fear I could totally monopolize the <laughs> this time of just talking about communities. Um, so you've explained about how you work on communities now, work in tech. But when you were younger and a child, what was it you wanted to be when you grew up? Honestly, I didn't know. Um, I dabbled in basketball when I was a teenager for a while. I was like okay. 12, 13. I, I loved it. Um, and I kind of like dreamt of being a basketball player. I, like, I spent like every day after school like playing basketball. Um, but then we moved away and then I never really got to play basketball again. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, and, and after that, I, I honestly, I didn't know. I kind of, like, explored the idea of business. I, I don't know why. I kind of like the idea of creating a business, but I didn't really have anything specific in mind. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was 24. Oh, really? That late? Did you go to university? No. No. No, I was, I was working since since I was 19. Um, I got into testing when I was 19 with no qualifications. Or was I 20? Actually, I was probably 20. 20 or 21. Um, okay. And that that was my entry in, into tech. Um, I enjoyed testing. It felt like, you know, a positive step forward, I guess. For the, for the uh, unknowledgeable listening, what does testing mean? Uh, testing means uh, you kind of you're trying to help improve the quality of a software product or any product, I guess. Um, okay. In my context, it was software, and um, so you would um, review it, try to find problems with it, find bugs, so to speak. And um, I guess when I when I started, it was you know uh, very waterfally, uh, not very exciting. Uh, space to so, be so in. did you have did you have a tech background then uh no i i was 20 i no qualifications um I was, I was working in a bank at the time um i was living on my well on my own i guess um i had a like minimum wage type admin job in a bank um i managed about 18 months there um when I was there, two things, I guess two things happened. One was um, I was always volunteering myself for other things because the job was like really, really boring. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that I volunteered myself for was to UAT, um, user acceptance test. Some, I can't even remember what it was, but it was a really simple like uh, calculator. It was calculating something, um, some loans or, so, or something like that I can't I can't remember but it wasn't it wasn't very complex and that was like my my excuse was well I've got a bit of testing experience there um and and my uh now husband at the time um 
who weren't my, you know he's my boyfriend at the time I guess um he he was the developer and he worked for a company and he was like oh well they're looking for testers I, I'll try to like introduce you get you an interview um and I just think like having that little bit of experience like saying oh I've tested this kind of just mm. helped me for, get my get my first testing job and I was opinion like once you get a job in a specific uh, sector it's much easier to get your next job um, yeah, and and that's basically what happened is that I got one job and it just was a lot easier to kind of progress from there fair enough so I mean this is kind of why I love this podcast obviously I've followed you on social for a number of years now and you always have an opinion of someone right you sort of see the social side of things and then you build up this opinion in your head and and it was always like oh Rosie's kind of got this career and she's built this business and you sort of make assumptions about that but so to hear that you came out of school with no qualifications and kind of almost stumbled your way into testing is 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 a powerful story for me because it sort of shows that there are other routes to doing this sort of stuff that you know that might not be your traditional path or even your untraditional path I guess yeah I mean but basically like um I'm I'm half Colombian um and between the ages age of I guess 13 and 18 I was living in Colombia and oh, were you? yeah um and I basically didn't really go to school throughout that whole period I just like refused to go to school there um but um <laughs> I don't when I was 18, I was like, oh my, I just got, I, I got to get out of here. I had to get out of Colombia and I knew it wasn't for me. So I, I came back to the UK basically on my own and basically like my parents couldn't really help me out. So I was like, right, what am I going to do? I got a job. I got that admin job. I had a job before that, that didn't work out. Um, but like I found my own way. I, I, I got a job at the age of uh, 18, 19. Uh, I found somewhere to live I had friends in Brighton I crashed on the couch for a few weeks um and then I found my own place like a room to rent um but yeah I was on my own since I was 18 um I now have an 18 year old and I look at him and I keep telling him I was like dude I've been on my own since I'm 18 hurry up get you know um but you know different world life's changed but yeah I look back and you know, somehow, somehow I managed to get by. I didn't really think about what I was doing. I was trying to look ahead to think about how can I, how can I study at university and stuff like that. But it just got complicated, and I just kind of found my way through through life, through just doing stuff and making a living. I feel like you've been a bit modest there. I mean, well, I mean, just coming, you know, eighteen moving to a different country on your own, no resources to talk of and sort of building yourself from there to where you are now is, is a pretty incredible story, really. Yeah, started with nothing, literally. Wowzers. So you, you, you said then about, you know, you didn't really go to school and I've I sort of seen your stuff on social media about what the schooling you're giving your children now. Is, is that related, that thought process? Um, probably not, kind of, but not really. Um, okay. Like, I went to school 
um, before Columbia. Um, I didn't have a huge problem with it, I guess. Um, but like, I guess the reason I, I didn't go to school in Columbia was a bit more complex. Like we kept moving around. My parents couldn't decide like which city to, to live in. And just like, I didn't speak Spanish very well. And I kind of refused to kind of dive into a, a school that was all in Spanish. It was just like, for me, it was too much yeah. to go to, to, you know, I guess uh, study in, in, in that kind of way. So I just kind of <laughs> ended up refusing you know, simple things like reading a book in Spanish, it just didn't click with me. It didn't, like, make sense to me. I, I couldn't, like, um, if I tried hard, I probably could have, but basically I, I, I didn't. It's a big um, ask, though, isn't it? It, it is, it is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I just, like, refused, refused. Um, um, so, yeah, so that's not so much my philosophy with my uh, current uh, home education or unschooling, as I call it. Um, but I I did look back on my life and I was just like, well, I've, I've managed to make my way through. I could have got, you know, I could have gone the, the normal route, so to speak. I could have gone to university, um, but I'm not sure if, if it would have done me any, any good or any better. Um, would it have been the right path for me? I don't know, because like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just mm. like trying to think of, well, if I did go to university, what would I study? Uh, maybe business, maybe... You know, I was looking at accounting for a while. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't know, right? And yeah. like the career path that I've ended up in is kind of business, but I'm not sure like a business degree would have really helped me um, do things in the way that I, I like to do things. Um, and like like I mentioned, I didn't know what I wanted to do really until I was 24. And that was like community. That's when I dis- discovered community. Do you remember what triggered that thought? Um, local meetups, basically. Okay. Um, I was uh, kind of joining in some local meetups. I started organizing some local meetups. Um, I fell down the rabbit hole of Seth Godin, who's you know quite community focused in his, in his work. Yeah. Around the same time, I just discovered co-working as well, which is very community focused. And like all those things kind of together, it was like, you know, community is where it's at. And um, obviously like I could read books, but I never read, really read books until that like turning point when I was like, I, you know, I, I discovered something that I was really interested in. And like, I ended up like reading all of Seth's books <laughs> one after another pretty, pretty quickly. And um, yeah, that was just like, a, I guess a turning point for me where I was like, oh, this, this, you know, feels so, so right. I guess once you find that passion, things kind of click into place and become a lot easier to work with, don't they? I think so. Hmm. Interesting. Um, tell me something about you that not many people know. I was going to say I'm half Colombian, but I've already said that. <laughs> uh, I don't have any qualifications. Um, I've already said that. Uh, I jumped the gun, didn't I? Well, no, I mean, look, if you answer the question early, you answer it early. I mean, there's no, there's no bad. I think 
they are both good things to to share because like I said, I mean I and I'm sure many other people who are you know, are in your community or signed up to your newsletter or follow you on Twitter or wherever, probably do make assumptions and they assume that, you know, you've probably gone down a certain path. So to say that you were half Colombian and lived in Colombia for a very formative part of your childhood and that you haven't got any qualifications is is huge because there's probably people who, you know, will relate to that or you know, to a certain degree at least. And, you know, I always think that if it's just one person listens to this podcast and they take away something that, that enhances their life, for me, that's a win, right? So if there's someone somewhere thinking about, oh, God, I'm not qualified enough to do X, Y, Z or educated enough, I think it's always great to hear stories about people who have overcome that. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and I, I think, like, and I guess another thing to add on to that is, like, when people look at me now, um, you know, they pro- they probably, like, see this very outgoing person, um, mm. which I am not. Um, and I think, like, I just think people don't, don't really realize what's kind of, like, beh- going on behind the scenes and, and stuff like... Um, I guess, like, I, I stepped back from Ministry of Testing um, about three years ago now. And I had done one or two pu- talks, public talks, um, one or two podcasts by that point. That was, like, after, like, more than 10 years of uh, building up Ministry of Testing. But I avoided it completely. Like, as, as much as I could, I was like, you know, I was like, no, I, I don't want to do any public speaking. Didn't feel comfortable. Um, which is part of the reason that I stepped back from Ministry of Testing is like not because I didn't love the community and appreciate the community. It was more like um, I I understand the value that I've created there, but this isn't for me, and I need to find um, a world that is more for me. And I knew that was community, even though I was building a community-driven business. Yeah. So there was some overlap, but um, I've, I I knew in my heart that I wanted to focus on community community so pre-2019 or even 2020 I'd never really spoken publicly and I I had refused to um I I feared it and I read books on how to do public speaking um but like I just couldn't find something that I was interested enough to talk about and that's what stopped me from doing it I'm like oh I just don't have anything to say on that topic it's like testing it's like yeah I appreciate testing but I'm not you know I don't have any uh, things that you know wind me up or that I, I, I specifically want to change in the world of testing uh, I was more of, of a person that helping members in the community bring their ideas to the forefront rather than me having the ideas um, so people today if, if you know they don't they don't know that they just look at me now and think I've been doing this uh, for many years but actually it's just been a couple of years that I've been writing consistently, talking consistently, going on podcasts, um, creating my own events um, just in the past two years. Wowzers. I mean, what you've achieved then in that two years is pretty impressive. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, you're being modest again. Um, No, it is. I think, you know, you're very well respected. You've got a good audience. Um, You know, you're going from strength to strength from what I see. 
And again, you know, perception, I guess, isn't always the right thing. But it's like they say, isn't it, about comparing your, your I can't remember what the phrase is, comparing your step two with someone else's step 22. And, and I guess, again, this is why I love podcasts and love the long form content, because you get to understand these stories about people and actually see the the real thing rather than you know, a snippet of a tweet or a snippet of a YouTube video or something that actually doesn't go deep enough for you to understand things. Yeah, I agree with that. I think yeah. there's um, social media is dangerous and it's hard. It's really hard to get the depth in social media. And yeah. I wish I wish more people could see that. I, I don't think we do. And I think there's, you know, this unhealthy um focus in like building an audience building a following building in public um it's very it's very superficial um as great as it is there's definitely positives but i think it's like i think with everything you kind of need need the balance and quite often there isn't balance and people get attracted to the to the voices that perhaps don't have that balance yeah agreed do you think communities could work without social media yeah well i started in the early days without social media true um could it exist today definitely yes i I think so you you don't need social media i still use social media to to kind of support um my community flywheel so to speak it's like social media can be part of community but it's not necessarily the whole of community it's kind of like um, you know, trying to find ways to pull people into your communities. Social yeah. media can be quite, quite good, good for that. Um, but it's also like, I guess one phrase I have is like, people, people don't notice if you're gone on social, right? It's like if you don't, if you don't show up, people like don't really notice, like, yeah, because um, it's the feed is just forever going and going and going, um. And so if you go quiet for a while, not many people will, will reach out to check on you. Um, perhaps you might have a few close online friends, but for, for the most part, people don't notice. No, there's always someone else to take your place, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's quite depressing. <laughs> it's a little bit. Do you, um, do you, I know you've got young children as well. Did you, what's your sort of thoughts on your kids and social media? Or are they too young? I mean, your eighteen-year-old aside. My teens. Well, I've got uh, so I've got a four, a seven, eleven, seventeen, and eighteen-year-old. Um, my two teens are not interested in social at all. Are they not? No, they're like nope. I'm How proud come? of them. Yeah. Um, I guess like one of them, like one of them loves memes. I keep saying like he's he's education because he's homeschooled. He's uh, it, the foundation of his education is based on memes. <laughs> like he he you know he browses memes and then he uses that as as something to go and explore. So oh, what's this meme about? You know, what does it mean? And he'll go and search up on what that that the meme means. Okay. Um, and. Yeah, he knows a lot of stuff, a lot of random stuff. But like, we get into debates sometimes. And I'm like, how do you know about that? Um, but yeah, I guess that you know a lot of that is on Reddit, which he kind of uses. I think that's the only thing he uses. 
that and Discord. Um, so I guess like is Discord social media? I, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't class it as social media, but I guess not in the the traditional sense, right? Yeah. Well, that's quite fascinating. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's again, you know, it's, it's extrapolating out that one person's opinion, i.e., me. Like I, I assumed all kids were in some degree on social, you know, whether it be TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. Like, so to hear it's not as someone with young children, I quite like because I don't know when my girls are sort of getting to that age, part of me hopes that social will be very different and hopefully a little bit better um, managed, I guess, for lack of a better term, in 10 years. Yeah, I don't know. It's scary to think about. Um. Yeah, schools, the education system, um, peer pressure, it's it's a lot, um, there's a lot going on, um, yeah. which is partly why we homeschool, I think. Is that, is that what the, so have all your kids been homeschooled? Uh, my, my three youngest, um, basically yes, um, they tried out school part time earlier this year, but um, they said no after a term, so we said okay. Um, that was a, a Waldorf school. They went two days a week. Okay. Um, so not not a traditional school, but yeah, they didn't they didn't like it. Um, they have it too easy at home. Um, <laughs> but my my eldest two went to school for like three or four years before we took them out. Um, okay. And it's I think it's been easier that they with my three youngest ones that they haven't been to school yeah it's a big decision isn't it it is it is uh <laughs> it's uh i don't know this you know this is this thing about me where it's like um what it looks like once i believe something has to be done a certain way it's like i can't like you know i reject the system basically uh, yeah. I've re- re- rejected um, working for others. Um, I tried recently again, but like it just confirmed my biases that like I should I shouldn't work for other people full time. Um, I still believe it could happen, but like like to find the right company to work for for me would be like you know a huge. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a bit picky these days, I guess. Um, but, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. Yeah, I don't. I'm okay with it. But yeah, the, the commitment, like for me, is that like I couldn't stand school. I couldn't stand even like stand taking them to school, um, dealing with all the things that comes with school, the admin work, all the expectations. Um, and I could, I you know, this is like one of my I guess specialist topics over the years, but. The, the more you kind of extract yourself from that world, the, the more you see um, how uh, in, in, um, inadequate it is. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to say it, like be too strong because like I'm conscious like everybody around me, they have kids that go to school. So like sometimes like when I say is like the school system is like stupid, it's like people get offended. Um, but um, it's it is stupid. It, there's so many stupid things about it. But at the end of the day, it's free childcare. What's, what's the what's the most stupid? What's the most stupid? Uh, 
Where do I start? Uh, putting everyone in um, classes of the same age. Okay. It's very unhealthy, in my opinion. Whereas, you know, there's there's a lot of um, stuff out there uh, where just like, actually, it's 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 much better place to be in if you're in like mixed mixed groups. If, if you're with adults, with young people, with with babies, with you know teenagers, where every the more you mix, the more like everyone can kind of contribute in their own kind of way. So okay. like the slightly older kids will uh, get teaching skills because they teach they, they help the younger kids with how to do things. Um, teachers don't have to be the ones that teach, um, and actually kids are probably a lot more open minded, uh, learning from from the um, from other people um, close close to their age, but it's like you know maybe maybe people who are a bit more advanced. Um, so yeah, there's you know there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. Just like um, that's a big reason why bullying happens because there's this just like just sticking everyone of the same age. There's yeah. you know um, no protection there. Kids don't understand. Um, so is there, is there data to support that there's less bullying when when ages are mixed together? I I, I would think so. Um, okay. Don't quote me on that, but yes, <laughs> I, I would like to think so. It's like um, you know, learn, learning from adults, learning from old people, all these things, um, and I tie it back to community. I think like <laughs> I think the, the the answer to to education is community. Um, I don't think we need schools. I think we need to learn to work together within the communities that we're in. Okay. What 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 does a what does a typical day look like for you then? For I mean, are you are you being the teacher at home for your kids? Uh, we don't call ourselves teachers. We um, we're facilitators. So like okay. we um, we work with our kids. We try to find things that interest them. We try to find activities that they, they that would excite them. Um, for my eleven-year-old, that's often sports stuff. So we're always looking for like sports activities for him to do. Okay. Um, for my girls, it's more um, kind of crafty stuff, arty stuff, just hanging out at the park, um, having friends over, um, just like spending time playing. Literally. Um, sometimes all day is like what what they love, and that's that that to me is education. That's that's you know the social interaction, but it's it's in a way that they choose. So like my kids don't like groups, like big groups. They you know it's too much for them. Okay. Um, so like organizing things one to one is really kind of like the the optimal for them at the moment. Um, so we try to do that. Um, so it's. It's not we don't we don't teach and like I, I think a, a big thing about um kind of kids is we don't have enough faith in them. Um so like as an example, like I you know, I'd read to my kids. Um my seven year old girl, she uh, was she learned to read this year. Um and I spent years reading to her at bedtime and she knew a few words here and there um but my eldest son like challenged her he got this big thick book out and said let's read this together 
and he would sit with her and read one page at a time. You know, really small writing. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember what book it was. Um, and within a couple of weeks, she was just like picking up other books and just reading them. And she was off. She could read every word. Um, and then we, we asked her like months later, I was like, uh, we were like, who taught you to read? And there was me thinking that she was going to say it was me because I helped her so much over the years. And she was like, no, it was, it was Aaron, um, my, my eldest son. He, he taught me to read. He was the one who, who sat down with me and taught me to read. So he gets all the credit for just like <laughs> showing up at the right time, in the right place. Um, but she's off and um, she's reading. She's now on to, so that was at the beginning of the year. And she's now reading proper books like Diary of the Wimpy Kid type books. Um, so presumably you're not, you're not held by curriculum stuff that other kids are and teachers are. No. So her, her reading time is when she gets up in the morning, she'll lie in bed reading for half an hour. Or sometimes okay. she'll come down into the living room and just lie on the couch and read as other people are getting ready or as we're doing things um, to go out or prepare stuff, she'll sit down and read. Um, and then she'll do the same at bedtime. She'll um, sneak a light into her bed <laughs> and read. Um, and we don't stop her. Um, but yeah, that's that's her off reading. And for me, it's like, as long as they can read, it's like the world is kind of like their oyster and like, we kind of like encourage that. We provide books. We, you know, do whatever we can to encourage it. But we don't monitor in any kind of way. Um, my my eleven year old, he was not interested in reading. Uh, he could read a bit, and like, he was eight. I was like, "Come on, hurry up and read," but he was not interested. Um, and then lockdown came. We got him some audiobooks and some other books, and then he just started reading. And he's never stopped since. Um, and he's, God, he's read so many books. He probably read, read like at least one a week, and like the Harry Potter series, like two or three times. He he read, he read them more than once. Um, but yeah, he's got no problem reading. So, uh, and we I, never I, taught him. We never taught him. We just like, you know, that the, there's these moments where they kind of see. They have that confidence, and then for some reason they're off. Yeah. How, how do you find the time then to do everything you're doing with your kids and then obviously in the work space as well? I think that's what people don't understand, right? It's like when people, when, when kids get to a certain age, when they get to six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and we have a flow of things, it's actually not, obviously it's time consuming, but if you think like, in the mornings, we don't have the school runs to prepare for. We don't have that mad rush or anything yeah. to, to get out the door for. Um, they go to forest schools some days. They do have things that they go to. But generally speaking, they don't start until like 10 or half 10. Um, so it's, it's a much slower start to the day. Um, and then um, if you think like my, if my girls, they're reading or they're there playing happily, for a couple of hours yeah um you can actually get quite a lot done in that kind of time you don't need to be watching them the whole time it's no. more like trying to ensure that they're they're um happy facilitated they have what they need um but you know in addition to that it's full credit to my husband as well we we work um very closely as a team we swap 
constantly we um, look out for each other as as the parents as like we we make sure that each of us gets our time we need every day to work yeah um this morning I dropped my girl off at my mum's for a couple of hours as I went to take my son to a, a kind of new sports class that we were trying out um, my husband got the morning off to do whatever he he needs to do um, I came back um, I'm now here with you it's like you know midday one o'clock mm. now um, I've now got the rest of the afternoon off to work I say off but you know I, I've got you know the rest of the afternoon to Focus work time yeah until six seven and my husband's taking my girl swimming um my teenagers just you know they organize themselves my 11 year old is uh now up on his computer playing games i'm here working i don't need to be watching him yeah he's, he's fed he's happy he's playing, you know getting his screen time at the moment so it's just like try, really trying to like you know it's it's taken a lot a lot of kind of years of um I don't know, trialing things out, experimenting, seeing what works, juggling, um, adapting to what I need, adapting to what my husband needs. Um, but yeah, it's it's easy in some ways and it's hard in others, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's um Yeah, it's a big, big topic, isn't it, education? And I I guess without again taking this whole podcast down that route i think i'll, I'll move on um to the next question what's, what's been one of the most pivotal moments in your life yeah i've got two i think okay one i've already covered which is uh when i came to the uk when i was 18 yeah on my own um i guess the other one is um kind of i guess being diagnosed autistic and adhd recently um, and also having kids diagnosed with the same. Um, okay. So yeah, that's a big uh, pivotal moment, I think, for me. How recently? Uh, well, I kind of self-diagnosed. So like in the in the autism, autistic, ADHD world, neurodiverse world, people tend to self-diagnose first. Um, and a lot, a lot of that is done basically down to the fact that, well, first they need to, we need to kind of like understand, you know, feel like we um, identify with these um, neurodiverse ways, but also just like the health system at the moment, it, it takes bloody ages to kind of like get a diagnosis. Yeah, so you're kind of forced to self-diagnose first. What what led you down the path of feeling like you needed to self-diagnose? Yeah, it's it's a whole uh, it's a whole minefield. It's like first, this is becoming more common. So first, my eldest son got diagnosed. He got diagnosed like two years ago now. Um, kind of um, autism and ADD. Um, and then, you know, as he was getting diagnosed, I was like, yeah, I th I, th I identify with him a bit, maybe. I'm I'm not sure if it's enough. Um, so, you know, it was kind of there, the back of my mind, but, um, then I, then I fell down a rabbit hole of kind of 
um, autism and women or ADHD and women and autism and women and like how it shows up differently and how there's all these women being diagnosed um, at the moment um, because um, basically like all the research has been done on, on little white boys yeah. and not not girls or not women um, so there's a whole kind of lost generation so, so to speak of women a lot of mothers discovering that they're they're autistic and it's a it's a bit mind-blowing to be to, to be honest like when you start looking back at your life then it kind of like starts to some things start to make sense right yeah a lot of aha moments ah oh, makes sense now I get it yeah 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 the first the first episode of this podcast i did was with erica vonderwall i don't know if you've got a chance to listen to it yeah i did and she echoed a lot of the things you just said and she she told because i didn't realize that all this stuff was hereditary until she told me and that's how a lot of women middle-aged women started to find out this thing because their their sons are getting diagnosed and then the the mums are getting secondary i guess diagnosed as a result right yeah yeah, and it's, uh, I guess, like, so So I self-diagnosed first, and then I got an official diagnosis in August, um, which is like a couple months ago. Mm. Um, and, like, even though, like, I kind of knew that, you know, what it was going to be, um, just getting that official diagnosis for me was like, um, actually, I'm not, like, talking nonsense I'm not making things up it's like this you know I, I do I feel like I experience things differently but it wasn't I didn't want to like spend the energy like properly like researching all all the things about autism and ADHD and because it's it's a minefield and I, mm. I think like what I've come to re- realize or what I feel is like um even now even though people are getting diagnosis diagnosis is um there's the even the experts really don't know a lot about it and they're kind of fumbling their way through that's like my gut instinct is like uh, there's still so much to to learn and and, and to understand about what what, what it means um, yeah. and yeah i guess it's like you know partly it's like oh it's a grief it's like uh, it's like almost like think, you know looking looking back at, at your life it's like what what could have been um or now looking at your life and like understanding myself better i think is probably at, at my po- stage at the moment it's like the more i dive into it the more i'm understanding the more i'm i'm starting to kind of um just understand what's good for me and what's not good for me and therefore making decisions based based on, on 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 my new understandings um but yeah it, it's it's mind-blowing to be honest so, so when you look back sort of five ten years do you um did you think anything different then like was was there was there something in your mind that thought i don't know um, and maybe you didn't know it was ADHD or autism or, or or whatever label it may be. 
but was there something there that you thought was going on? I, f- I felt for my whole life that I've been different. I think okay. that's that's a kind of, I guess, conclusion that I've come to is like I very much felt on the outside of the world, of the people, of my surroundings. Um, and apparently that's a thing. It's like autistic people talk about feeling like like an alien like literally like not feeling you know it's like they're looking looking from the outside in um and and that's me my whole life just like looking from the outside in not really feeling a, a part of, of things um stuff like you know like i, I really dislike groups um uh um, which people will find surprising because I do community. But I think what I've discovered is like, I can do, you know, I love leading and doing groups and events, mm. um, but I have to lead the way. I have to have that role of leading. Otherwise I get, I get, a bit, I get lost and, you know, just, I feel really uncomfortable. Um, so like <laughs> I've done conferences for years Um and I, I kind of like felt felt at home leading the conferences and designing everything, you know, deciding on the rules and the format and everything. And and um, people loved it, you know. And I I think that's like a really interesting thing is like as as more as more people come out being you know autistic, um, actually when they when they look at the work that I've done over the years, um, and realize that actually this is an autistic person who's who's created this, this is an autistic person that has, has changed the way that uh, people build community businesses or, or change the way that conferences are done or change, change the way how, how, we, how we lead companies with, with ethics in, in mind. And when now, you know, hopefully they'll, at least like in my situation, I can say, well, this is my autistic way of creating this, this world that I believe in. Um, and the only way I think in hindsight is like I've, I've created that and that's the autistic way of creating it. I, I didn't believe in, in the ways that other people were doing it and, and my kind of stubbornness. Um, uh, apparently it's an autistic thing as well. It's just like holding true to your, to your values and, and not, not moving away from them. It has, has kind of served me well. Well, yeah, I was going to say you've, you've proved it almost to be the right way. Exactly, um, which which is which is even ha- harder to kind of like, in my mind at the moment, it's like, um, when we talk about autism, obviously there's very different spectrums to autism, um, yeah. and people talk about it as a disability, um, and that's what I struggle with personally at the moment. At the moment, it's like. It it makes me it almost makes me feel sick saying it's a, it's a disability because I think you're you're seeing it as a superpower, aren't you? Yes, but obviously I'm I'm definitely not great at other things. Um, so I think like but are are any of us though, right? I mean, there's there's obviously you know there's stuff I'm not good at and the stuff I am good at and the stuff I'm not good at doesn't get labelled as a disability necessarily. Exactly, exactly, and I th- I think that's like. The way, like, we need to we need to change our worlds, right? We need to like be more open minded to like all these different ways of of living. And um, yes, autism can be a disability. Like, I, I know, like, 
some autistic people that, that like they they're really happy to call themselves disabled or wear that label mm. um and i think at the moment there's probably people who think in very different ways but um yes it probably is a disability in the current world but it's only because like the the, the neurotypical world is 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 designed for like one type of person you know it's a very ableist world so to speak it's designed for for one way of of being is like we you know the meetings the the way we get things done, the, the work environments. Um, they've never really considered like how um, other people, uh, not just autistic people, just like everyone in general is just like, um, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, the world listens to what people actually need. And it, it, pro- it probably takes leaders that are leading companies to make the changes, right? So it's like, um, what, what I've realized is like, Ministry of testing that I built up, I built it up in a very autistic friendly way because that came na- naturally to me. Like, I never had meetings. I, you know, like with, with people that like worked with me, we just like focused on getting things done. It's like, right, what needs to be done? Let's focus on that. Um, and um, just designing conferences to be very inclusive, to look out for each other. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and definitely room for improvement now that I'm kind of more aware of neurodiversity is like, how can we make uh, not only businesses more neurodiverse friendly, but like events. Yeah. So um, I went to a ministry testing conference uh, last a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I was, as, as I was there, I was just thinking, oh, there's, there's lots of little tweaks here that we could do to just like improve the experience for people who, who you know who are neurodiverse to, to help them feel more comfortable to help them with anxiety to help them a lot with like kind of um the sensory overload or all of that kind of stuff uh, it doesn't take a lot to change that um but it's like being aware of it is kind of like like the first step yeah sounds like a business opportunity there but there's conferences up and all around the world that could probably use some sort of consultancy like that to potentially yeah yeah so do you feel now you've been officially diagnosed i guess do do, do you feel positive about it or is that the wrong wrong way i'm looking at it um i feel okay about it i think at the moment i I definitely went through like kind of like um i guess like the a relief of being diagnosed but then the mm. grief of like well what does this actually mean and what should i do next and um should i be public about it or how public should i be about it all those kind of things start kind of um going through my head what why why wouldn't you be public about it because of discrimination basically i really 100% um, it, it's it's not obviously we're talking now about it, so um, it's it's not that you know it's my nature to kind of just be open and honest about it. Mm. Um, but I'm in a world of tech. I'm a woman in a world of tech. I'm a woman in the world of business. I, there's so much discrimination, hidden biases everywhere. Just surrounded by it, um, and the idea of adding that extra third layer of potential disc- discrimination um is 
it's not going to stop me. Obviously, it's not stopping me now, but it's, you know, I, I definitely had to take time to think about, I was like, well, what does it mean for me? Um, how am I going to talk about it? Um, what what opportunities am I going to lose because of this? Um, because I will. I, I pretty much guarantee you I will. Some, you Do know, you think so, really? 100%. 100%. And, and uh, people, especially um, white men, don't see the the discrimination right they don't there's a lot there's a lot of uh so to speak tech bros out there that don't see the discrimination that women go through for example and Mm. it's going to be the same for for for, um autism and you're the second guest in a row by the way who's who's made that um statement literally word for word i am someone i spoke to on um late last week said exactly the same thing yeah, not about not about the autism, about the, the sort of the male side of things. Yeah, it's 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 um, yeah, we we see it all. Uh, women see it all the time, right? Um, and and it's pretty disheartening to be honest, you know. Mm. But it's like, of of course, I'm going to think about it. It's the first thing I jump to. It's like, what opportunities am I going to lose because of this? Because you know, I've had discrimination as it is. Um, for for who I am, without people knowing that I'm I'm autistic, of course I'm gonna uh, expect to have more of that, but it's not gonna stop me. It's not gonna like stop trying to normalize it. Uh, it's not gonna stop me. Like I look at my kids, I think they're probably all somewhere on the spectrum. Well, I, I was just gonna ask that. How does I mean? You said earlier that your your son got diagnosed first. How how how's he taking it, or how how are you finding it working together to get him through it i guess is that the right term yeah. i don't know i mean i don't i don't want to talk specifics about him but he's doing really good in comparison to like where he was like two or three years ago he's he's so much better like now we understand him better uh, he's on meds for um add adhd stuff okay um but he's yeah he's just in a great place at the moment good um and i think i think also just like a big part of it is it's just like, it's like holy shit uh now we've got like all these kids that we think are on the spectrum to you know in, in very different ways and we're just trying to become better parents to them we're trying to adapt how we live we're trying to understand um who they are and their meltdowns and and their needs and and like if they say no then we'll listen to them and, and say no you know we'll, yeah. we won't force them to do stuff Whereas, like, uh, some people will look at that and, and think, well, you're spoiling your child. And it's like, no, we're not spoiling our child. It's just, like, our kids need different things. Um, my my 11-year-old is super sensitive to sound. He can barely go to a cinema um, because it's too loud. Um, he's sensitive to light. He doesn't like group stuff. Um, and, and bless him, he's, he's so aware of it. And he's, like, conscious of it and... Uh, too much people link he's like he's like mom you know this weekend i don't want to do anything please don't arrange anything for me i just want to chill and be quiet has he been has he been tested or no 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 he hasn't but i'm convinced he he is he is autistic okay um and it's only right for us to respect his needs right but also the fact that he's so aware of it is in my opinion amazing because like we can I think almost like our goal is not to create stress in any kind of way. 
Well, I guess recently, stress. I guess recently that there, there would be stigmas attached to that, right? Yeah, like and and I guess now if you know if you've you've been diagnosed, his his older brother's been diagnosed, that stigma sort of dies away very quickly, which yeah. is a, a hugely positive thing, if you know. Yeah, I think so. So we can we can definitely like recognize situations better and and parent better as a result. Whereas I think for my two older kids, perhaps we, you know, we, just because we weren't aware, um, yeah. we probably didn't do as good as a job as, as we could have. On that note, Rosie, is there, as a parent myself, and I'm sure other parents who are listening, is there anything that we should be looking out for or a tip you can give us to think about? that? Because it's so interesting, something you said, like, you know, when, when your kid says no to something, you know, very much it's like, uh, actually, no, yes, do as you're told kind of thing. And I guess there's a fine line between that style of parenting and, you know, if your child is on the spectrum to a certain degree, like, how do you know? How do you, and I get, and I appreciate that's a huge question <laughs> with a myriad of answers, but like, where where is that line, I suppose? How do you know? I, I... <laughs> I think it's I think the easiest way to know is to be aware of what autistic people struggle with. Um so typically like sensory issues, too much noise, um too many people, group stuff, quite often they you know they, they don't like that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, there's a whole list of things that could be like potential signs. Um, quite often in, in schools, for example, um, especially in, in girls, like there's this whole thing about masking where um, girls specifically, they, they, you know, they, I guess they hide what they're feeling um, or they pretend, you know, they, they uh, you know, do things and try, just try to pretend to be somewhere else. It's, um, I find it hard to like get my head around it, but mm. basically like they kind of like the kids are holding it in and they don't show the symptoms at school. And it's when they come home that they often, um, come back and like have meltdowns or it's, it's, you know, it's all behind the doors that the schools don't see. Um, so like, you know, that's definitely a sign. Like if your kids are coming home and they're, you know, they're, they're angry or they can't control themselves um, it's it's really easy to la- label the kids as troublesome, but maybe it's just like overload of everything that they've had to try to process through the day. They're kind of like keep trying to keep it together throughout the whole day, and they come home and they're like they're letting themselves out. Um, and I think I think just generally um, in society, we la- you know we, we we're too quick to label kids as troublesome or naughty or misbehaving, but they're just kids they're just trying to figure out how to cope in life yeah how to communicate yeah and it's like mm-hmm. trusting your kids and listening to your kids um and really kind of like acting upon what they say um and and um kids see that right i, th- I think like um for us it's like we listen to the kids, but we also act upon what we say. Yeah. Like, if you really don't want to do that, right, let's find a way around that. It's fine. But they also have to 
learn to communicate that with us as well. So they have to learn to speak up for for what they want. But we also have to look for the signs. So it's like it's a bit it's a bit of both. It is a minefield to quote your to <laughs> word tough. earlier, isn't it? It's really kind of it's yeah. It's tough. But like yeah, for me it's for us it's like let's just focus on not having stress. If if we don't have stress, then everyone's calm, everyone's chill, everyone's a lot happier. So let's not do things that cause stress. And yeah, easier said than done, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's uh, not an easy thing for some people or people to talk about. So I appreciate you sharing that. And again, as I think as I said earlier, like you know, if one person listens to this and and takes something away, whether it's you know of their own personality or or something to do with their children, then again, it's a hugely positive outcome from from that. So thank you. I mean, are you open for people getting in touch with you to? To, to discuss this topic if like something that they think is affecting them yeah definitely open to it um I actually um since like I was diagnosed there's been a few people online that um they have they have it hashtagged in their profile and that's been really helpful um so that's kind of like my next step so I, I reached out to a couple of people uh that way you know that I follow um who have who have the they've got the actually autistic hashtag on their Twitter profile, mm. and it's just nice to like see other people and like I just DM them and kind of ch- uh, sharing um, resources or asking each other questions, um, and because it's such a minefield out there, just like someone just like saying, "Oh, I've found this. You might find this useful." Um, is is like really really helpful, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you are or not already, but you should definitely hook up with Erica. Like, she was a total advocate of of um, talking about this thing and raising awareness, and it was her passion behind the topic was was really quite amazing to see. Um, but yeah, okay. I don't know how much crossover there's going to be with the next few questions, but tell me, tell me one of the most valuable lessons you've learned. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on slightly the uh, it kind of relates to the tech bro angle that that um I mentioned earlier. Okay. Um. So I've got I've got this idea in my in my head, or, or there's, there's this culture at the moment that people people follow people too much, and it's dangerous. Um. And so there's there's a tweet I saw ages ago. I can't remember who wrote it. It was just a random tweet out there by some some random. Um, But the idea behind the tweet is like, don't follow people. It's dangerous to follow people. It's dangerous to follow the ideas of one person, right? Um, And I've I've often said to people, look, don't follow me. It's like, I mean, sure, follow me, but don't don't get religious about following me and, and, and... and who I am, you know, follow my ideas and then see where those ideas take you. Um, and I think this is especially important in the world that we live today where it's it's very tech bro it's very influency, it's people, you know, shouting for, for attention and saying, buy, sign up here, subscribe to my email list. 
um, buy this course or thing that I'm selling um, or follow my way of doing things and then you can be successful too, do tweet threads or whatever it is. Um, and people get obsessed about it. And mm. it's dangerous. It's really dangerous because um, there's just this, um, this, this selfish bias in, in all of that. Um, so for me, as, as kind of like advice that I've heard and like kind of going forward for people, I think is like, be careful who you follow, but, you know, follow the ideas that you believe in and see where those ideas take you rather than following specific people. Good lesson. It's a tough lesson sometimes. It is. I mean, where where do we draw the line then between people's ideas and people using those ideas as a marketing tactic to get people into their funnel? Um, it's not that you can't, I, th I think it's not that you can't attract people in and like, you know, kind of converse with people and, and talk with people. It's, I think it's, it's more about like having the awareness that what are the motivations for people? Um, do they really mm -hmm. have your best interests at mind or are they just trying to get you into a funnel to suit their own needs? And maybe their needs will suit you and maybe they won't. But I think it's like really about, thinking of whether that's going to do you any good, give you any re real value, or whether you're just going to get sucked into the, to the next hype. Um, crypto was one. Like, the whole hype with crypto in the past year was ridiculous. And, like, crypto people were trying to, like, overtake community, for example. Yep. And it was driving me absolutely insane, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, and then there's like a, a community person uh, trying to call crypto community and then uh, pulling all these other people into the crypto world and selling them stuff and selling the course and crypto and community. And now that crypto has gone, they've gone back to teaching just community and not crypto. <laughs> and it's just like, you Does know. that drive you mad when people use community as um, uh What's the word I'm looking for? Used word community in like a kind of whatever is a trend at the time. Yeah, especially with crypto and like God. Yeah, and and like you know, I guess like community will go through these phases of stuff, but the stuff with crypto was absolutely ridiculous. And like all this stuff with DAOs, I'm not saying that DAOs can't work, but like you get all these people like um, jumping into kind of these Discord servers or communities, hoping to get rich because they're going to participate in a DAO and, and you'd end up with thousands and thousands of people and it's just like a huge, huge mess. Um, and like, yeah, it's just like, I was saying from the beginning, it's like, this is not going to work. And nobody was listening and all these people were like hyping up crypto and community. It was like, this is not community. This is like, this is, I don't know what you call it. This is like greed. Ponzi this scheme, is, I think they call it. Yeah, Ponzi scheme, right? <laughs> But like what upsets me the most is that people get sucked into that plus they're hijacking what community means. Because that to me mm. is not community. That's Ponzi scheme, right? Um, so that's what upsets me the most. But s people still follow these 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 tech bros specifically um, 
that, you know, and, and almost worship them without even thinking about what impact they're having on in the ecosystem, I guess. I think it's like you said, there's a lot a lot of them will get followed because they think that they're gonna help them get rich and it's a shortcut to doing any actual work towards it and it's and that's what it is, sadly. Yeah. That's that's not my world. Um but yeah, people get sucked into it, right? But I think like calling it out and helping people be more more aware of it um and i think just like the the reality is no one no one's got any blueprints right no one no. no if there was a blueprint if there was an easy way to do something it's like everybody would be rich right um and looking looking back on my experience is like the only way that i kind of grow and succeed is just by figuring out things on my own right yeah. I, I read a bunch of books about public speaking. None of them helped. The only thing that helped me was just getting up and and talking and like stumbling my way through and finding my, my, my own voice or, or my own way of being and my own kind of uh, messiness or chaos and my rainbows and my clouds. It's just like, you know, all these things like um, have evolved over time. But every time I try to read a book or a blueprint on it, I just it just doesn't work i just do you, you know do you know what's what's funny is it's something like i've talked about this about an hour or two ago with my wife it's like and i keep seeing this whole consumer versus creator and i am kind of finding myself in this position exactly to your point at the moment where i'm a little bit more consuming than i am creating and i think until you get away from that consumption mindset and actually really start creating stuff that's when the good stuff happens. That's when, you know, the, the businesses grow and the audiences grow and the money comes in and all that sort of stuff. And I guess that's kind of what you're saying, right? Is it's, it's, you have to go and create and you have to go and do your own stuff to actually learn really what works. Absolutely. That's yeah. hard. It is got, hard. Yeah. The only way is doing it, you know, figuring it out. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question now. And I, I wonder if we've already covered this with some description, but I believe everyone has a superpower of some description. What would you say yours is? <laughs> I see things that other people don't see. And, and it's probably down to my autism to some extent. Um, and I, I, I specifically see that in community and in education. But I, th I think it's because just like, I spend a lot of time thinking about these things. Um, I, you know, I've spent 15 years in community, 10 years home educating my kids. Mm. Um, and as a result, I know things and I have lived experiences um, that not a lot, not a lot of people have. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, it's that seeing things, you know, I, I, my psychologist said that I'm like a visual thinker. And like, I'm like really intelligent that way. Um, and yeah, I think because of that, I, I, I see things that other people don't. Um, and yeah, I'm a bit uh, stubborn as a result. And so if I see something, if I see something has to be one way, it's like, right, it's a rosy way or the highway kind of thing, at least in my head. But it has to be that way, doesn't it? Otherwise... It you're lacks sort of going meaning. against what you think. Yeah, yeah. 
I quite admire that, Rosie. I think that, um, and I, you know, speaking for myself here, there's lots of things that I see wrong in the world, but for one reason or another, you know, you just go along with, don't you? Because it's, I guess, the p path of least resistance, or it's just, you know, you don't feel like you can make the change. So, I, the kind of the homeschooling thing, I totally admire because, for me, that that sounds very scary to do. And for you to actually go ahead and do it, I think is is is, is quite incredible, really. Um, so I, yeah, that is a superpower of <laughs> quite an immense one, I guess. But you know, I th I think you know, I think for me, it's like I want to show that it can work as well, and and, yeah. and it's hard. It really is hard, you know. Like, but you're you going know, against the status quo, aren't you? And you know, please don't take this the wrong way, but. The stakes involved in this are your children's future. So, to you to stand by your conviction that much is is powerful because many of us don't, myself included, right? Yeah, and that's I think that's like the hardest thing is like, especially in the earlier days, we're like always questioning ourselves as parents. It's like, are we doing the right thing? Um, and I think part of it is like looking for the positives. Is like actually you know, look at all these things that are happening and look at how good our kids are, um, mm. you know. Um, but, but like when you're in the moment, it's like when your kid's not reading really at eight years old, you start to worry and you start to think, well, are we doing the best thing? Um, what, you know, <laughs> he should be reading by now. Uh, Was you start... your husband always on board with it? Uh, he's very much, uh, he's amazing. So like he deserves a lot more credit than, than, He's given so like when when people ask me is it like, how do you do it all it's like I can only do it because of him, um so um, he makes up for all, all my all my flaws so to speak but um I'm very I'm very much the one like saying these things like we got to do this and he's like okay 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 <laughs> he, 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 you know perhaps he knows not to not to disagree with me, uh, <laughs> but um you know he 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 supports. And, and you know, goes along with with our thing, with my ideas. Um, so I'm very much like leading the way with the ideas, but then he kind of picks up the mess quite often. So like, yeah, it's, I guess it's uh, probably ADHD stuff. He he manages like the, all the house stuff, like all the you know bills, all the admin, all of that. I just I can't do it can't do it that's where that's where I feel so he's at the moment I, I kind of say well he's kind of masking for me he makes me seem like I've got it all together but actually like you know he does all the mundane stuff that I just cannot cannot seem to do and like if I didn't have him doing that I think like we definitely wouldn't have succeeded in many of the things that, that we've done that that's that there right there underlines the powerfulness of a good partnership doesn't it yeah, and, and playing to each other's strengths, right? So, like, mm. obviously he's got flaws, I've got flaws, but it's, like, um, understanding um, understanding our strengths and, and, and playing to those is, like, you know, pretty much been our focus. And, um, and and that's a way to live, right? That We do that with our kids. We, we focus on their strengths. We don't focus what they're not good at. We focus on the things that they want to do and that they're good at and that they enjoy all those kind of things and I think society doesn't 
you know, it's it's made to focus on what you're not good at, and that's that's what like that's why I can't work for anyone else. I think, <sighs> or maybe now I can because I'm I'm I, I think like one of the powers of like the diagnosis is like well I can be upfront with people and say well if I do take on this role I need this this and this otherwise there's no point in me taking it or you need to understand that this is how I work um and if you if you can't take it then there's no point in me kind of, kind of coming on board no weirdly we were talking about that exact topic this morning as well about how people manage other people and actually the spectrum of human emotion means that everyone needs to be handled differently whether that's you know, some people enjoy micromanaging, being micromanaged. Some people absolutely detest it. Some people want praise. Some people don't want praise. You know, that's the tip of the iceberg. So I guess, yeah, now you can kind of put a bit more, uh, I guess, description behind your, how you are and how you work. Then maybe actually that opens up more doors because, people it's something that's weirdly actually something you said earlier kind of got me thinking about the whole um discrimination in tech and actually i was thinking and this is a mass sweeping generalization but i guess autism probably shows itself more in the tech sector than any other sector i don't know if that is a generalization but that's kind of my thought which was like which is why i sort of found it when you said about the discrimination side of things, I wondered, I would have thought that as an industry, tech would be even more open and accommodating to, to autism than any other industry to a certain degree. It is for men, to be honest. Oh, okay. So it's like almost acceptable in the, in the tech world to be uh, autistic or like Asperger's type, type uh, diagnosis. And... Um, the likes of like uh, Steve Jobs, uh, Elon Musk, Albert Einstein—they say are probably autistic, yeah. but like they can get away with it, or you know, engineers in general can get away with it. It's like, oh, he's just you know, that's how he is. It's okay. That's that's how he be- behaves. But with women, it's it's not it's not the same. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Do you see any progress there? I have hope. There's, there's, um, the fact that women are getting diagnosed is is a good sign. Um, it's only it's only been in the past five to ten years. Yeah, that's what Erica was saying. She was saying that the research uh, of autism in women is just non-existent. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's and, and it's. I think I think people brush it off as like, oh, that's not important. But that means like all our lives we've had struggles that have basically been ignored or, or mislabeled, right? Yeah. And the workplace or people people are not recognizing that and um, not recognizing that as a result of that. Of course, we're going to be uh, triggered by by certain things, or of course, we're going to like push back on things, or um, yeah, it's just like it, it opens up a whole. A whole other, I don't know, it's a whole new world, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, for me, it's like opening up is important to, to, raise, to raise awareness of it. Um, but also, like, um, we do good things. And 
Um, actually, my psychologist said, she was like, we need people like you because it's people like you that change the world. Um, and and that's that's interesting to think about. And I feel like I'm changing the world, um, even in, in my own little way. But if you look at, you know, again, going back to Einstein or Steve Jobs, um, who people say were, you know, probably autistic, it's like, those are the people that change the world. So yeah. why why are we not accommodating that enough, right? So on, on that note then, Rosie, have you got any plans for the future that you didn't have maybe a year ago as a result of this diagnosis? Is there, is there something you've thought, actually, now I know this and I want to try X, Y, Z? That's a good question. I kind of like stepped back a bit in the past few months, kind of in that in that kind of like grief grief zone. Yeah. To kind of reevaluate what what I wanted. Um. I definitely. I, I feel I feel a bit obnoxious saying it, but I definitely feel like I I want to transform the world of community and that there's so much more to do that isn't being done and I feel like um I'm almost the person to do that to some extent um and you know I'll give you a typical example right so it's like I've got <laughs> I've got Rosyland right yep. so Ros- Rosyland uh, is my my project my blog my oh well, my website now is rosy.land um and the name, the name first came about because I've always used the name Rosyland as that what you know when I'm off in my own head doing my yeah. own thing, and that's a very autistic thing. So even that is like quite quite funny that I've I've called I've called this like uh, you know world that I go off to Rosyland for for yeah. many many years, um, probably ten or fifteen years. Um, so it's like when, like. You know, when I'm just like staring into space, my husband's like, "Oh, she's she's up in Rosyland." Um, but yeah, where was I going? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess going back to like um, yeah, so Rosyland. So going back to that is like I've had like kind of dilemmas to say, where do I take Rosyland because it's obviously got my name in it, right? Yeah. And it was just meant to be a little blog to begin with, or newsletter. Um, and over time, I've been like calling it, you know, it's like I'm making communities rosier. So it's not necessarily my name. It's just like the idea of making things rosy, a better world. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I've spoken to people about, well, you know, it's it's a community for community builders. As I'm like, you know, as as it's kind of growing, it's like, well, it's growing into this community for community builders. And like people look at it and they're like, yeah, but it's got your name in it, right? And like that kind of casted some self doubt on me, and I was trying to think, well, do I change the name or do I kind of go all in on the name as, as like a brand? And then I put a tweet out. I asked the, the the other week. I put a tweet out. It's like, what brand names have have founders? Uh, what what companies have founders names within them? And people responded with a whole bunch of them. It was like, you know, like Disneyland, um, all sorts, right? And I was like, this is what Rosyland is. I'm good. I have to make it a brand name around community. And there's no reason why why 
why I can't do that, right? Why why can't I make it into into something that 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 you know means community, yeah. and and not let people like who can't see through it, you know, say, oh, it's just about you. It's not about me. It's. I think anyone who reads your newsletter knows, and the way you talk knows, it's not about you. Yeah, I think like, so as well. I, I I've been reading your content for for some time now, and I've. It's funny to even hear you talk about it like that because I have not ever once considered that was your kind of um, ethos or mentality because you, you don't communicate in that way in the slightest. I don't, but it's, it's these uh, uh, seeds of doubt that yeah. we get as women, as being discriminated, as you know, being pushed back, as there all these years of dealing with that, you start to self-doubt, you, you start to think, should I do it this way? Am I being stupid? Or, you know, does it have legs? You know, it's like, but now I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, nah, fuck it. Um, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, should you? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be me. And I'm, I'm going to find, find ways to change the community world in my, in my own kind of way. Um, and hopefully the, the uh, home education world as well, I think, or, or community stroke ed- education. I keep thinking that there's something there to really kind of tap into and ch- change things because um, especially if you look at like the, the influencer type world where there's a lot of pitches for um, courses, buy this course, buy this, yep. buy that. Um, there's something in me that says, well, we don't actually need most of that. We can do it through community. But I don't know how yet. But that's like what's at top of mind. I think you're really onto something. I uh, I look forward to seeing where you go with that. Okay, next question. I'm 99% convinced we've probably discussed this at some point already. But what topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? Community and education <laughs> and how it needs to change. <laughs> yeah, basically, I think that's like my my life's calling. Um, you can sprinkle in some tech bros and discrimination there as well but yeah is i mean when we talked about community at the very top of this podcast you were talking about the definition of it and even though you read out that definition it sounded to me like you it's fine it's hard to find the, the true definition of community and where i'm going with this is is because it's so hard to define is it really hard to understand what it is and and how to get the best out of it and and how it's different for i guess for in so many different ways i think so and i think that's what um it's one of the things i actually want to work on and one of the things that i've been writing about more recently is just like communities out there aren't actually very good um and part of the problem with that is because there's um, obviously, you can get so many different types of communities, but if we're if we're talking like in the context of like online communities, um, I I still don't think we have the tools for them, the, the the tools we need to build good thriving communities. I have lots of ideas around this that I'm probably <laughs> I'm not going to go into, but like the basis of it is like we're all chatting away, um, and not taking enough action. I think in community you need action. And the kind of metaphor that I use for that is like, 
if you uh, think about your local hometown or city um, and you're part of the community, you go to a town hall uh, meeting to talk about issues within the local community, you don't want to just sit there and talk and go back next week and talk again about it. You want action, right? Mm. And in the context of online communities, Actually, it's really hard to take action. It's not clear how to take action. It's not clear how to create the value for, for community members. Um, and, uh, and there's quite often members there that aren't getting any value at all or, or could be getting so much more. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my current thesis. Do you, do you have many people approaching you about helping them get started building a community or taking the full thing on? Uh, I have a few people. Um, I try to. I'm not sure how I feel about consulting at the moment. Um, I, I'd rather like, yeah, like you know, like helping people get communities off the ground is complicated. Um, I, I'm not sure if people are quite often quite ready for it. Um, but ready in the sense of why they want to do it. Why they want to do it, how they want to do it, investing their time into doing it. Is that because most people see it as a kind of a, a marketing channel to some degree and actually not a, commu- a community in its actual right? Partly, but I think partly it's like they don't know what they want and they don't realize what needs to go into it and how okay. it needs to become embedded into the culture or how you know you can't just be sitting around talking all day. Hmm. Comes back to that definition, doesn't it? Yeah, which is which is partly why I'm kind of reluctant to like, at the moment, pin down on a, on a definition. Um, and I feel like I feel like I need to read like fifty books to like understand the definition that everyone's tried to, uh, like you know how how has everyone tried to define community, and like almost like do that intense research and then come to my, my own conclusion about what I believe makes good communities in the modern, in the modern world. Yeah. I think that's the key thing in the modern world, isn't it? Because I guess back in the olden ages, community was really important, wasn't it? When people were living in little villages and everyone had a real part to play in the community, I guess as communities get bigger and people lose that identity and, understand you know the value that they add to the community then things change pretty drastically but yeah and i I guess that's the modern world right yeah and people kind of want that back but they don't so it's like (laughs) you know they they, they want the they're in love with the idea of it but then they realize that to actually get to that they have to participate in community and help people out and all these kind of things and um as much as we want it i'm not sure if we really do want it or maybe we do but we have to rethink about what it means i mean okay on that note then why why do you care so much about community i think i think it's almost the answer to everything if we can do it well i think it's the answer to education it's the answer to um your, your local community to create a better better um place to live um, it's the answer to reduce costs and um, it's, it's the answer to a better life. It's the answer to uh, better mental health and physical health. Um, I think it's all intertwined. If, if we have um, 
stronger communities and we have this ethos of let's let's uh, let's not always be transactional with every aspect of our life which is basically what's happened now in modern day life is like um to go to work you have to um uh, you have to pay someone to look after your kids or you have to send them to school mm. or if we home educate and like this idea of like oh well if we want a break for my kids we have to pay someone to um uh, you know send them to a class or pay someone to look after them but actually like if you think with a more community mindset it's like no you don't have to do that so like um we i i often do swaps with other parents it's like let's you know especially when the kids get along right it's like well i'll yeah. look after yours you look after mine we'll take swaps sometimes we'll take them to this class or this class and what we'll, you know we'll kind of share the workload yeah um and whilst we do some of that now it's taken us many years to actually just get to a handful of people that we trust enough to 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 leave our kids with to let them hang out or let them take you know take take them somewhere um but if if i could have done that within my first year of home education that would have changed the whole experience right yeah but the reality is, is it's hard. It's really hard to just like hook up with people and find the time to connect and build build those relationships. It didn't used to be though, did it? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, like what you just said then was everyday practice. You know, you'd always go to your friend's house, maybe, you know, after school one day and then they'd come to yours one day and it was just part and parcel of life. Like where have we, where have we lost that? Partly it's regulation, right? I think if... if if you look up the law in the UK, you're not you're not supposed to look after someone's kid for more than two hours. Otherwise, there has to be a legal contract, and you know people have to be qualified or registered or police checked. It's it's crazy, right? What is that? Is that really? I didn't know that. Yeah, if you do it on a regular basis, apparently. So, what, what's, what's the it? definition of looking after someone else's kid? exactly I, I don't know off the top of my head but there's definitely like a regulation there if it's more than two hours per day then it should be uh like um formalized according to how the government sees fit <laughs> wow you learn something new every day i had no idea that was uh <laughs> blimey no wonder that gets you on your soapbox then I can <laughs> get that um I guess being sort of so entrenched in communities and, and working life as you are, I guess advice you've seen back and forth between people quite a lot. What's, I used to ask the question, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And, I, and I've sort of changed it in recent episodes where it's, what's the best piece of advice you've heard of? Because that, what I kept finding was people were seeing stuff online, which they thought was really good advice, but wasn't actually delivered straight to them. So what's, what's the best piece of advice you've sort of come across recently? I think it's probably a piece of advice that I live by is just um, that people seem to appreciate. It's like create a small community around you that back you up. Okay. Um, I actually created this little independent community. Um, so like I, I led Indie Hackers for a couple of years, um, big community of indie founders. But even throughout my whole two years of like leading that community, I never really kind of connected closely with people. It was like, it all felt quite superficial. Um, yeah. 
had the occasional catch up here and there, but nothing kind of meaningful. So I, cr I created a, a community and I was just like, what can, what can I do that is going to force people to show up and build relationships? And it's like, I can make it paid, but people will join and pay and just like not show up. So that's not going to be enough. So I said, you know, so I decided to like make it paid as a, like a one-off uh, smallish fee. Um, plus people have to uh, show up once a month and participate. It, it's a Slack group. It's like, you know, you, you only have to drop in and drop one emoji to like stay in it. But you, you changed those rules quite recently, didn't you? No, it's always been the same for that. Oh, has it? Okay. Yeah. So people have to participate within a 30-day period, otherwise they get kicked out. Um, and people know this when they're joining, so it's been that like that from day one. But the purpose behind that was like, I, I want to meet people that want to hang out and want to show up. Yeah. Um, and, and it's been great. There's like 35 of us. Um, some are more active than, than others, but like I feel like I've made... Uh, better friendships there and I have people there that back me up in certain situations online and like or or I kind of go to them and I say am I being crazy here is this am I thinking the right kind of thing um or there's this idea of like I, I'm very open online but I don't share everything but in there I'm much happier just to share everything I don't mind but it's like, like a circle of trust right it's, it's like a circle of trust, or I kind of call it building in community. So rather than building in public, it's like we're building in community. It's not it's not about trying to kind of get attention. It's just like let's share stuff and like be a bit more open about our lives. And a lot of people there definitely share stuff that they wouldn't normally share online. Yeah. Um, and it's been it's been good. So like you know we we, we have some private channels in there as well so it's kind of almost like um mini i wouldn't call them mastermind groups but like themed groups so i created a, a themed neurodiversity group actually um okay. which was uh which i made private um so there's like i don't know seven of us or something in there who identify as neuro neurodiverse um and that means i can go and rant there um it means i came out in pub i came out in community there first before i came out anywhere else um, it helped me just like talk things through, figure things out. Um, but just to have that little space of um, sure, like anything in there could end up being public. Anything on the internet could be, you know, someone can take a screenshot and post it. Yeah. But um, so there's never anything there that, that you know, I, I would, you know, that would kill me publicly. But still, it's just like, is that circle of trust where we can practice being ourselves gain confidence um and work work our way up to to like um having that confidence confidence to speak publicly or do things or get feedback um but yeah it's been a, it's been a godsend and then like you know then you can like pitch in there and say i had it the other day where like someone left a comment on 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 a, so, on a social media post I said that I didn't really like and I just pinged it in there and they just like, you know, went and backed me up. Like I almost didn't have to reply to <laughs> to a tech bro that comment that I didn't like and they, you know, they were there just like 
you know, t- telling this guy that he's been out of order. And, and that for me is just like, ah, I don't have to fight everything by myself. It's like, I've got yeah. their back. They've got, you know, uh, you know, we've all got each other's back. Um, so yeah, circle of trust, little community, building, building community, building community rather than building public. Yeah, I think that's powerful. And I think of all the stuff you've spoken about community in this podcast, that's probably the best example of, you know, why it's works and why it's important. It's been, it's been so good for me. Um, and I know it's, you know, helped other people, but especially with the new neurodiversity stuff, it's just like, you know, almost going through like a depressive state, I would say, and just like being able to, you know, practice talking there has been like just really, really helpful. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's good advice. Um, when you think about the future, what do you see? <laughs> Community. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's, the world's a, thread, a bit... there's a thread in this podcast somewhere, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It all goes back to community. Um, I see a future that's more accepting, um, hopefully in my lifetime. Um, Are you positive about the future? Optimistic? Kind of. <laughs> okay. Um I think I think like Yeah, I well it's it's just like so polarizing at the moment, I think. So I, I don't know what to I don't know how to make sense of the world at the moment. Like on, on one aspect there's like, you know, just like so much crap going on. So much, I don't know, right wing stuff, the you know, Ukraine stuff, the you know, you know, stuff in Iran is like it's like in some senses like the world is going backwards. And it's like, how can that even be possible that we're going backwards? But in other senses, I think it's going forwards as well. So, so I hope it balances out. I hope like, the world survives. Uh, nuclear war or climate change or it's like holy it's like yeah I don't know it's like yeah what I, I look at my kids and I and I try to imagine what their future will be like and I have no clue I have no clue what they're going to end up doing I have no clue how they're going to make a living um but I'm sure they'll work it out you know yeah, I I I was talking about this recently as well about the, trying to think about what my kids were going to be doing in twenty years, job wise, finance wise, living wise. Like, you know, how are they ever going to be able to afford a house? <laughs> it's just it's mind boggling, and part of it alarms me. Then, but part of part of me is like, actually, do you know what? They will work it out, and there'll be things that they're doing that you know not even ideas and concepts and businesses that haven't even been conceived yet so yeah and if we go back to the idea of school it's like school does not prepare kids for the future that we don't even know what it's going to look like so it's like you know all these things it's like i think we just like the future is just like doing the best we can and trying to be as positive as we can and trying to do good in the world and that's kind of like what i'm trying to do that's hopefully what my kids will end up doing in their own no, kind of way and, and do you know what that's why i quite admire what you're doing because if you look how much the world has changed in the last 
I mean, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. But actually, education doesn't really seem to have changed anywhere near, like, it's, well, hardly ever in some su- in some subjects, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But. It doesn't. It's even it's getting more draconian. Even stuff like, you know, you can't even take any days off, right? Mm. Um, or you get fined for taking days off. It's like, what the fuck is all that about? Imagine if they did that, uh, you know, you know, in your day job, yeah. saying you get fined if you if you, t- you know, take time off. It's like you, people wouldn't put up with it, right? But for some reason in school, it's acceptable. It's like kids. Be, can you imagine like being forced to go to school like? As an autistic kid with in a room full of thirty people, that's completely overwhelming, and you have no support, and you, and, and and you're just being forced into that situation every single day. That's what a lot of kids have, and actually, if you look at the, um, I I don't think there's official stats, but there's a lot of new, neurodiverse kids who home home educate precisely because of that, because the school system is just like. Well, I guess they're probably Damaging. the ones. They're the ones in the class who are deemed the troublemakers, aren't they? Because they're reacting to that situation. They then get caused troublemakers, which then sends them off on a whole different pathway. Disrupts the rest of the class. But not that it's their fault. It's just because they don't know any. And then the whole system just kind of doesn't really make any sense when you look at it like that. And they because put no the... no one no one's benefiting, right? The kids who are getting disturbed aren't benefiting. The kid who is doing the disturbing in inverted commas is not benefiting because they're not getting the help they need and the attention they need. And it's the the, ch- the child is a problem, right? When yeah. it's not, it's the yeah. system that's a problem. It's like the whole system is a problem, and um, no no one's no one's kind of like taking responsibility for that and. I'm actually surprised that more parents haven't sued schools for the damage and mental health that a lot of kids have had to go through for being forced. I, I to just go to wonder. School. I wonder why. You know, we see um, technological advances and you know a rate of knots going on and, and the world changing so quickly. It, it kind of makes you wonder why that there hasn't been any sort of disruption in that in the education sector. I think it's because they're trying to address it all through technology and not through uh, childcare. Yeah, maybe. Uh, school is essentially childcare, and if kids can't go to school, then parents struggle to work. So yeah. just like creating these uh, websites that teach kids about things is not enough. There needs to be like um, what I would call probably like co-working spaces for kids, like safe environments for kids to go to and and be able to choose what they want to learn. But at least it's like a safe environment. It's not like you're being forced into like curriculums. But until, but, until there's like alternative models like that, yeah. uh, parents are always going to like want to send their kids to school because life gets stressful. Like that, The average parent um, can't uh, just allow their kids to stay at home because, you know, a lot of parents have to go out to work and all of that kind of stuff, so... Partly, well, I feel very when fortunate. When the pandemic hit, wasn't it? That was why so many people were struggling because they were suddenly forced to doing their full-time day jobs, working from home and being full-time teachers at the same time. And it just, it's just not feasible. Or yeah. And for, in, in that way, it wasn't yeah. feasible at least. Yeah. In that way, it wasn't. like And like for us, like our daily life didn't change that much. 
Mm. We, we missed out on some classes and stuff, but really it didn't change that much, right? Um, no. So, yeah. Fair enough. Um, we're going to move on to the very last question now. And I'm totally conscious of your time. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you, but I am conscious of how long we've been chatting for. <laughs> two hours. Yeah, so th- the last question is was asked by my previous guest. So I get the guest to ask a question that I will ask my next guest. And the question they asked was, is there a life hack that you've seen online that is now part of your regular day-to-day life there's a lot of bullshit life hacks out there there is there's a lot of tech bro bullshit life hacks um especially the whole get up at five kind of thing do your exercise do your routine and your meditation meditation um i don't know um do what you love i think there's no better it's not really a life hack, but like it's a way of life. It's like I think if you can if you can find a way to make a living doing what you love, then everything else can kind of fall into place. How long did it take you to find what you love? Because I and I asked that because you said earlier about you doing the Ministry of Testing, and then it sort of you stepped back from that because you realised community was probably where that love was. I knew I wanted to do community, like just community, probably 12 years ago. Okay. Um, but to find a way to do it, like I guess Ministry of Testing, I'm, I'm so grateful for Ministry of Testing as well. Um, Ministry of Testing was probably my path to get there. Like I, even though it wasn't a perfect match for me, I, I did love it i did enjoy it i did create good work there um and it's kind of given me that credibility as well that i've created something it's um something that most people haven't been able to to do i've built a business i've handed it over to someone else i've bootstrapped it it's profitable it's an events business that survived the pandemic um and it's community-led and on top of that, it it enables me and my husband. My husband was a big part of that as well, behind the scenes. Um, with the tech and the uh, finance and operations, it's, you know, um, doing, doing a lot of that. But, like, it's, it's a profitable company that um, we still, we have the passive income from that, which enables me to focus on Rosyland, especially in the early days when it's not really making um, enough money uh, day to day. Um, but it's given me that freedom to just like choose what I want to do. It's like, it, it gave me that freedom to uh, quit a job that I didn't want because I wasn't happy. I knew I had that buffer behind me. Yeah. That if I quit my job, I know I still have an income. Um, so, but yeah. 12 years ago, community, I knew I wanted to get into it, but I didn't know specifically. Um, and, and, and even when I started getting into it, like 2020, um, I wasn't sure I had anything to give. So it was like, you know, still like, yes, I've built this, but no one knows me for community, really, apart from all these testers. Yeah. Um, but like in the indie world or tech world or community world, no one knew me like two years ago. 
find that really hard to believe. I, and I don't mean that. I think you're lying. I just, from where I know you are now, just two years. I mean, I guess the, the huge takeaway from that is what can be achieved in two years. Yeah. When, when you're stubborn and autistic. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you're giving yourself enough credit there, Rosie. But um, listen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. This, as I mentioned before, is it's a long one. But I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of chatting to you. And I love that I've got to chat to you from someone I've followed online for, weirdly, I thought it was more than two years. But I guess, you know, probably there's probably a parallel between where you started ramping things up and I followed you and, and the content you put out, I think is really good. So I was very chuffed that you said yes to, to chatting. Um, where can people come and say hello? Where's the best place to signpost them? Uh, Twitter, Rosie okay. Sherry. Um, or if you're into community stuff, um, rosie.land. I will link to all that stuff below and I encourage you to sign up to the newsletter. It's, it's, it's a good read. Rosie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, well, well. That was 10Q interview with Rosie Sherry. How powerful did you think that was? Amazing, wasn't it? If you made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. It's a long one, I know, but I... Uh, Honestly, I can't thank Rosie enough for her candidness and openness and honesty. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribed wherever you listen to this and uh, the next 10Q Interview will be in your feed next Tuesday. See you soon and thank you very much.